Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you, sir, whoever you are, Bonnie D. in the house. Happy to be here. Have we got an interesting topic for you today? I don't think we've covered it at all in all the years we've been doing this series. We're talking up, up, and away. That should have been the title of the episode. But let me tell you what we're talking about. I'll give you a couple of buzz quotes before I have my guests introduce themselves. Okay, I have a quote from a, a European Space Agency astronaut named Philippe Perrin, P-E-R-R-I-N. This was from stellar-frontiers.com. Listen up. He says, it's only when you're flying above it that you realize how incredible the Earth really is. No, we're not talking about William Shatner's trip to almost to the outer space, but we're going to go a little bit lower than that. We're talking today about L-E-O, not Leo, not a movie star, low Earth orbit. We're talking about satellites. Low Earth orbit production is booming, pun intended, and innovation is accelerating. Guess what? You know their last names, Bezos, Musk, Branson, no politics here. Others are investing in this global game-changing opportunity. A LEO is an orbit around the Earth with a period of 128 minutes or less. Everybody set your clock. The show is only 57 minutes. So Russell and Chris and, and Michael, we're not going to get up to that level here. It's 11.25 orbits a day. Most artificial objects in outer space are in the LEO, L-E-O, region below an altitude of 1,200 miles. Let me give you, that was from Wikipedia, believe it or not. Now I have a quote from globalnewswire.com. The global LEO satellites market was expected to grow, listen to this, 4.13 billion this year. That's 18.2% compound annual growth rate. Wouldn't you love to have an investment, Chris, that was 18.2%? I think we all would. It's expected to reach $9 billion in 2026. Why? Because of the increasing adoption of LEO satellites, the rising importance across the communications and defense industries, the integration of Internet of Things, machine learning, rapid advances in aerospace, and the miniaturization of satellites. I have one more that will interest all of you. To modernize today's GPS does everybody remember that's Global Positioning System? How's your GPS? Fine, thank you. Satellite Constellation with new technology and advanced capabilities, Lockheed Martin is building up to 32 next-generation GPS 3 and 3F satellites. That's from LockheedMartin.com. So how will the aerospace industry keep booming? There's that pun again. Aerospace manufacturers are conquering challenges. They're creating innovative products with complex manufacturing and compliance with stringent quality levels. Why? The products have to work consistently. You can't take your satellite back to a store near you for repairs. Right, Russell? Right, Michael? Right, Chris? I haven't even introduced you yet, and you're my new best friends. So wave your hand when I call your name, and then we're going to do introductions. Russell Burtwell at Accenture. Russell, welcome. We're so happy to have you here. Chris Schrand at Siemens. Hi, Chris. How are you? And Michael Edelin at SAP. And of course, a shout out to our showrunner, somebody I've known for many, many years at SAP, the one and only David Sweetman. He's here in the background cheering us on. Our topic today, accelerating aerospace innovation at whoosh, 
supersonic speeds. I should have just said, whoosh, and you could have not heard it because it was supersonic. Let's go around the table and get introductions. Russell Burtwell, you are up first. I'm going to ask you to take about three minutes. Do me the honor, please, of introducing yourself. Tell us what you do at Accenture. But more important, what's your passion for this topic, Russell? Why are you here? Please go ahead. Welcome. Yeah, certainly. Hi, uh, Russell here. I'm part of Accenture's aerospace and defense industry team. And within that, I work across many different clients in commercial and defense, both OEMs and tier ones, and very much focused on innovation and how traditional legacy firms are innovating and really transforming themselves on the backs of digital, on the backs of, of these emerging technologies, but more changing their processes, changing the way people work together. And that is where my passion comes, is really in the operating models, the processes, and the way that teams work together in different ways and operate not like a and always has, but in new and exciting ways that pattern sometimes other industries that are a little bit more on the future progress. And so that's a bit why I'm here and, and uh, my role. Tell me something, Russell. It, it, does the norm when you go to a cocktail party, if people are doing that again or a meeting, people say, "Oh, that supply chain. Oh, I can't get my refrigerator. Oh, I can't get my new TV. I can't." But is anybody saying, "Oh, let's talk about Leo low Earth orbit. I'm really concerned about this." Or, "Wow, I want to know what my GPS is doing up there." Is this common parlance, or are we introducing a topic to the masses today? Because we do have listeners all over the world. Russell, just briefly, what do you think? Well, we're, and this is one of the things we might talk about, we're talking a lot about new entrants into the industry. Yes, there are the traditional players involved in space. There always have been. Um, but there is now a new, there's a whole new subset of the industry of high-tech players uh, involving themselves in this um, industry because of the need for pervasive communications where there is a huge ramp up in the volume of satellites in space and using low Earth orbit, not only for communications here on Earth, but the future prospect of, of basically space tourism and even, even supporting communities um, in orbit. And so there's, that is very much a startup marketplace at this moment, yes. but there's a, there's a real opportunity for both the traditional aerospace companies and new entrants from high tech or startups to play in the space. And so the Leo concept to me is it's bringing down to earth a bit of what was always further out uh, from the standpoint of what investments are there, what traditional companies are doing, and then who can kind of break in and disrupt and be new. Thank you very much. Great overview. Didn't mean to put you on the hot seat there, Russell, but I thought we would get really specific because I don't know anybody saying, hey, how's Leo today? I don't know. He's down the block walking his dog or something. Chris Rand, you're up next. Chris, welcome. We're so happy to have you. What an appropriate background on your that your Siemens folks <laughs> gave you. Look at that. I think all of the backgrounds, if you're watching us live on LinkedIn, take a look at how I'm the only one with just words behind me with a coffee cup, but that's Game Changers Radio. Chris Rand, we would love for you to please introduce yourself. Tell us why you're excited about this topic. Welcome, Chris. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, I'm Chris Rand with Siemens. I lead the go-to-market team for our Aerospace Defense Federal Marine in the U.S., our technical organization. Um, I've been personally working in the aerospace industry for probably over 25 years. And from 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 a young kid, seeing the aspects of, of space travel, 
of, I mean, the SR-71, the Blackbird was my favorite aircraft. So those things caught me very, very young. And through my career, I've been able to work with, with various uh, aspects of the community. With respect to uh, your question about uh, knowing about low Earth orbit, I, one thing I think people are, it's, it's taking effect, but people don't realize that it's taking effect. So the GPS is taken for granted. Uh, the things that are manifesting from the application of, of LEO and those concepts is just becoming normal place. And it's that pushing of, of the, the technology and the frontier of that is how we consume information, how we do things, whether it's uh, satellite-based uh, internet or GPS or, or those various aspects or even space tourism. It's just becoming commonplace. And the things that we're doing may not be be known, but it's the 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 investment that is driving the, the consumption by people. So thank you, Bonnie. Leo, thank you. Leo, the new frontier. Oh, I like that. <laughs> you know where that came from. Michael Edelin, we're happy to have you here from SAP. Michael, please do the honors. Introduce yourself to us. What's your excitement about the topic? Welcome, Michael. All right. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for having us here today. Yeah, so I'm very excited about uh, everything about aerospace and defense. I've been in the industry since I was in my early 20s, so it's been uh, over 40 40 years now. And uh, so really passionate about what we can do with uh, manufacturing and operations, trying to take, um, you know, the new innovations that are available in, in our industry to really facilitate uh, the, the rapid innovations on the shop floor, where we can take that the engineering design and, and really execute it on the shop floor, make that very seamless. And um, yeah, the um, the low orbit. Um, I was recently on travel to Thailand. I think that it's really a uh, a game changer or an equalizer around the world. I was over there, and everything to do with internet is all satellite based, and it was just so fantastically fast. Here, where I live, I'm on the family farm in St. Louis, and uh, the internet here we had to pump it in like sunshine. It's so slow, but uh, yeah, but over <laughs> in Thailand, it was just amazingly fast. Well, that's good to know. So internet, I did get, I, I didn't, for some reason, I was so excited about the show, I didn't sleep most of the night. And at one fifty seven, I got a note from, it starts with S and ends with M. Uh, your internet service is is uh, disrupted, and we'll let you know when it's back. And I was still getting everything. I, I wanted to go watch TV, but I didn't want to, didn't want to push the envelope. Yes, we do take a lot of this for granted. We do assume that you go in your car, if you have a fairly modern dashboard, there will be a map and there will be GPS and you can somehow enter one peck at a time, right, guys? You enter a, an address or a city or something and it might take you there or it might not. But we just, this is infrastructure. This is how we get around, right? Remember the days, <gasps> anybody here old enough like me to remember when you got a map? from the gas station and you opened up the map and it was the size of your dining room table set for 12 at Thanksgiving and you had to find the place and take a magic marker and draw. Yes, I know. So Leo, the new frontier, here we are. Thank you all for the introductions. Uh, if you're new to watching us or listening to us, we're on the Voice America Business Channel right now. I have asked my guests, as I always do, to send me a fictional quote from a movie or TV show or a song lyric and they're going to relate it in their own words to the topic. The quote is not 
about the topic. So let's see what we've come up with. Russell Burtwell, you, one of my favorite shows. I binged it and I'm tempted to go back more. The character was Don Draper, or was that his name? Aha, uh-huh. played by John Hamm. No H in John and two M's on Hamm. Mad Men, American period drama TV series on AMC Cable Network, 2007 to 2015. Seven seasons, 92 episodes. I think I watched it in seven weeks one summer. And it covered the period of time from 1960 to 70 at Sterling Cooper Advertising Agency, Mad Men, Madison Avenue. There's very little documentation that Mad Men was actually a thing, Russell. They've, they've looked it up. It might have been in the writing of... James Kelly, an ad writer in the 1950s, may have said it once. But anyway, Don Draper, charismatic, chain-smoking, hard-drinking, hard-playing, mysterious, erratic. And here is the line. It's classic. And you're going to relate it to our topic. The line from Don Draper is, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. Oh, my, Russell. Very interesting. That's going to be one of my new quotes. So go ahead. Tell us. What does that have to do with our topic? Low Earth orbit, satellites, aerospace. Well, and not even just the low Earth orbit um, concept, which is one part of it, but in general, the entire industry, there is, you know, I like the ter- I like the, the actual concept of change more than I think anything else. It, it applies to everything. And there is a tipping point right now in this industry that is, it's not the same industry that it was for the last 30 or 40 years building upon um, defense contractors on cost plus and even commercial airline builders um, focusing on the same passengers and the same airlines. We're talking about a completely different conversation within not only the OEMs and key producers, but in their supply chains, in how they use data, how they communicate. And really there's enablers, but they are always really focused on partnerships, an extended ecosystem working together. It's a different industry than it's always been. So to me, it's not about um, it. To go back to the quote here, um, the what's being said is changing and the whole conversation is changing. And really it is a bit of a forcing function to the industry. So it it has to do with um, how everyone's going to enable new business and really survive in this market with a totally different conversation than they had before. Thank you very much. And and the stats I read in the beginning that the market this year, 4.1 billion, and it's expected an 18% growth rate. Oh, be still my heart to go to 9 billion by 2026. Uh, to tell everybody, it's November 15th. We're almost at the end of 2022. That means we're talking 23, 24, 25, three full years, and then 2026. That's a lot of investment. That's a lot of opportunity. That's a lot of changed conversation. Right, Russell? There we go. So thank you very much for the quote. Appreciate that. Let's go to Chris Schrand's quote. This is fun. It's four four words. I have to put an emphasis on the last word. Leslie Chow, Chinese gangster played by Ken Jeong, speaking to Phil Winnick, the leader of the Wolfpack, played by Bradley Cooper, the movie, The Hangover Part 2. I don't think we've ever had a hangover quote on the show. Good for you, Chris. 2011 American comedy film. I watched the clip on YouTube. Very, very interesting. It's a sequel to the 2009 The Hangover in the second installment in the trilogy. Here's the synopsis. Phil, Stu, Alan, and Doug... 
They're not on the panel today, are they? No. Okay. Phil Stu, Allen, and Doug traveled to Thailand. Who was just talking about Thailand for Stu's wedding? There you go. FC, art imitates life or vice versa. After the bachelor party in Las Vegas, Stu opts for a safe, subdued pre-wedding brunch. But things go pow, resulting in another bad hangover and no memories at all of the previous night. So this is a very weird scene. You have to help me with this, Chris. And the quote is, but did you die? <laughs> Go ahead, Chris, you're up. So Bonnie, you wanted to have some fun with it. So I, I, I saw this one as I was searching around and it made me laugh because personally, I had a friend that every time we go through something difficult or whatever, I'd have a look at my face and make a comment. He'd look at me and say, but did you die? And what, what, how I equate that to the topic is all around innovation and what companies are doing for the broader airspace for innovation is going through a digital transformation. And these digital transformations are not easy. And it's, it's because it was easy, everybody would be doing it, right? But in order to the startups that are doing greenfield digital transformation or existing airspace defense companies that are doing um, uh, new types of things, digital transformation is the key. They're starting executive office centers of excellence that are going through this. And I was actually at a executive conference we had a month ago, and all these, these executives were talking about the, the, their various places where they were in their digital transformation. And the consensus was, it's not easy. It's hard. But in order to achieve the innovation drivers that they're trying, whether it's market-based, uh, security-based, defense-based, that we're trying to, for threats, Whatever the driver is that is causing you to try to innovate, you have to go through these things to, in order to achieve the the time to markets, the pressures that we're having. So um, knowing that things are difficult and going through it in order to achieve that is the key. And it gets got to the adage is uh, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? So um, play on that quote of, uh, but did you die? Everybody's going to survive with this. And the question is how much success you get out of that. So uh um, take the take the road less travel. Take the hard path. Uh, you will survive. You're not going to die, and then you'll get to reap the benefits of going through that transformation. Thank you, Kelly Clarkson. A little bit there. What doesn't kill you makes you strong. I try not to sing on my shows. I'm sorry, but you know, we're that would would be the alternative to that quote. Thank you very much, Chris. Very very interesting. First time we've had a hangover movie quote on the show. <laughs> Good for you. Mike Idelin has found us a quote from a song by Stephen Stills, performed by Buffalo Springfield, 1966. Be still my heart. Was anybody here alive in 1966? Okay, nobody admitted. That's fine. One or two of us might have been, and we might have remembered the song. The song was released on December 23rd, 1966. It peaked at number seven on the Billboard Hot 100. It was, The title was added after it was written and does not appear in the lyrics. Interesting. Uh, Stephen Stills was inspired by the curfew riots in L.A. on the Sunset Strip in November 66, and uh, the same year Buffalo Springfield was the house band at Whiskey go-go. I'm just going to stop there. Very, very interesting. So here's the line. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. And the song is, for what it's worth, stop. Hey, what's that sound? I'm not going to finish the song. Mike, okay. rescue me here. How'd you find this one? And what does it have to do with LEO and aerospace? Go ahead. Okay. It takes me back to a memory from uh, back in the 1990s. In 1995, the aircraft company I was working for, we had a labor union strike. And so all of, for 90 days, we were, they were on strike. All of the design engineers, all the manufacturing engineers, the planners, they came out and they actually were hands-on building the aircraft. 
then um, and it was the it was a new program and it was the fifth uh, aircraft in in this series of airplanes. And uh, when we went back to when the union uh, employees all came back to work and we got back to normal operations, we had a lessons learned meeting. And all of the design engineers, the manufacturing engineers, all of these people that author all of our work content, they, they're the number one thing that they said was they could not work from the content that they actually authored, that they had to rely on the, um, the manufacturing supervision that was still available to help guide them to actually do the production work. And, and it's it just that way uh, back in that time where there's this handover from engineering to manufacturing and there was a lot of uh, change impact that would happen. But beyond that, beyond just the engineering and manufacturing, I took uh, an inventory at the time uh, being in production operations as a, a manufacturing operations person, at any given day, you would have to interact with over 17 different systems to do your daily job. And so that's what we're all here today and what we're all working together to try to achieve is to eliminate all that complexity and, and to make this a very seamless uh, process from engineering through manufacturing all the way through the supply chain. And, and, and as an industry, we're making tremendous progress here. There's still um, some bumps. We're still working through, through those, but uh, that's what we're all collectively here uh, working to achieve for our industry. Thank you very much. Thank you all, gentlemen, for picking such interesting quotes. I appreciate it. I love movies and songs, and I like looking up the background so I can learn something. And yes, something's happening here. Yes, it is right here on Game Changers Radio. Let's go to our formal roundtable now. For those of you new watching or listening to us, I asked my guests in advance to send me four discussion statements about the topic, and I will pick one statement from each of them. Uh, gentlemen, I'll put it in the chat privately for you. Russell and I have already debated on his number one or two. We're picking statement number two. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to ask you to unpack it, Russell. Now, what's going to happen next is I need Chris and Michael to sit at the edge of their chair because Chris I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with Russell and then Michael I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with Russell and or with Chris if that doesn't get mm -hmm. confusing uh, we'll, we'll figure it out so here we go statement number two Russell says the digitization of operations throughout the life cycle of engineering manufacturing and sustainment is no longer an option end-to-end -end data connectivity digital threads and a model-based enterprise have evolved from operational value driver to an imperative for survival. That's a very strong statement. Russell Burtwell, go ahead, take three minutes, unpack it, and then we will see what your colleagues have to say. Go ahead. Sure, no worries. Uh, I've, I always think about the different terms we use that, that really sometimes really mean the same thing. The seamless flow of accurate information throughout the entire lifecycle process to provide insight and to drive more effectiveness is used, is really kind of claimed in many different terms. You know, you have a digital thread, which can really create a digital twin, which is a physical rep or a digital representation that can help you make better decisions. And then you have this concept of models pervasively from the beginning to the end. Um, that seamless digital thread between functions, when built accurate and effective, opens the door to more interoperability between platforms, creates the ability to have digital twins, and that model-based um, enterprise. The benefits here are, are pretty clear that um, you know, break, it breaks down silos and clunky handoffs between of data that drive efficiencies like potentially cycle time reduction, 
better quality, which will then drive less change, less rework in the process, but also can impact the growth side of the value tree with things like um, overall throughput increases. And new customer demands are making this an imperative. So when I say the survival thing, um, this year, the DOD released a, uh, for the defense environment, released a modernization strategy, which put in some key imperatives that uh, their suppliers and their suppliers' suppliers must conform to in order to be a supplier to the Department of Defense. Um, you know, one enabler for this intelligent weaving together of processes is the cloud. I'll just pick one piece of, of what makes this possible. You know, in A&D, the cloud is starting to enable opportunities for innovation far beyond what it used to do, which is optimize IT and beat infrastructure. You know, we're talking about the ability to open up to new products, ways of, ways of operating, reducing IT capital and operating expense, but even reimagined complex business processes. How can you create an environment by which it's easier to transfer data between platforms? to share with your supply chain, uh, to build more simulation to help you innovate, to actually create uh, that footprint on which you can build digital twins and make better decisions faster, more effectively. a and companies on the cloud front are individually making progress, but few are, far, uh, few are cloud ready. Now I mentioned that IT um, kind of platform and infrastructure is where it all started. But the real value of cloud that can come um, is, is still to come. Accenture's done some research in our aerospace team, um, talking with uh, leaders, practitioners in the industry. And one stat that's interesting here is only 50% or half of aerospace and defense organizations have a clear cloud strategy and roadmap in place. While only 38% of those companies have mature cloud capabilities. So there's tremendous value and opportunity here for adopters. And the nice thing is on the Leo front, to tie it back to that one concept you brought up, Bonnie, is that um, they're on the front end. They are typically coming from a high-tech environment. They're thinking more as digital natives from the beginning. The real challenge is those established, traditional, 100-year-old aerospace and defense contractors and companies that have, um, are having to pick up and transform. Thank you very much. Up, up, and away for the traditional companies and the, the new ones are already trying to get up, up, and away. Chris Rand, I see you. Chris, are you sitting on the edge of your chair there? I, I have to know you're ready to pounce. Agree yeah. or disagree with Mr. Burtwell? Go ahead, Chris. I, I definitely agree. I mean, I, I think the it's an imperative across not only with the lower orbit aspects, but all aerospace. If you look at... Uh, the digitization initiatives, I mean, and I mentioned it in my, my comment about my uh, did you die comment, digitization is what everybody's going through. That's how they're trying to drive their innovation. And it's not just a function to do because they're doing it. It's, a, it's imperative because of um, the requirements that their customers are putting on them, that they're having to look to be able to deliver, build the, build the aircraft or the system a thousand times before you build it, fly it before you fly it, operate it before you operate it. Um, doing all these things virtual so they can start to streamline and take cost and time out of the aspects. And it's to the point where it's an imperative, especially on the defense contract, it's part of the contracts. And you have to come to, in your bids and your proposals, they have to be there. If you don't have it there, they're not gonna be part of it. And we have customers come and talk to us and say, we know we're behind, we're behind. 
we're getting asked for all this, especially when you get below the the OEMs. They're they're they're, they're behind and saying, I don't know how to respond to what the primes are asking me to do because they're a customer of the DOD or whomever is asking them for this information. So it's an imperative, not only from a, a requirement that they're seeing from their customers driving the market, but it's also imperative to actually as a means to meet the demands of what they're trying to address for innovation. Um, the, the old way of doing things just is not viable. And even on the, on the commercial side of things, looking to, to take a, a thread around how we can do digitization around verification, airworthiness, and certification. Everybody's starting to head down that path with respect to that. And it's just, it is a total imperative how we can start to transform the industry as a whole to get better, to get more efficient, uh, to, drive, to drive our products. Thank you. But did you die? Not yet. Okay. Thank you very much. Michael Edelin, join us. Thoughts on what Russell shared and or what Chris added. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with both of Chris and Russell on this. I mean, the digital thread, what it really helps enable for our industry is the speed and agility to innovation because um, there's this aspect, especially on the military side, about this third offset strategy that says the only competitive advantage that we actually still have is our speed of, in, of innovation in, in our markets. And, and it's really important. The digital thread um, really enables this uh, communication across the, uh, you know, across the enterprise, across the supply chain to really help uh, speed up that that whole innovation process and the sharing of information from the um, you know design design collaboration the contractual collaboration the manufacturing collaboration all of that is is enabled by this digital thread uh, process that we have. Thank you very much. Very interesting, Chris. Brief. I'm sorry, Russell. Briefly, anything you want to say back to your two colleagues on the panel before I move on? No, I um, I I'm you know wholeheartedly with them and. Um, while I, I kind of took off on that kind of a little bit of a sidebar about cloud, it is all just an enabler. And the concept around digital thread is the reason, you know, is the, is the uh, kind of interconnectivity. It is the reason we can be effective and work within that, you know, kind of extended enterprise, our whole ecosystem, including internally and, um, and provide, you know, that kind of effectiveness. I 100% agree. Aerospace and cloud, you'd think they'd go hand in hand, wouldn't you? No comment. That's a poetic, a poetic or philosophical. <laughs> wouldn't you think we're up there already? Yeah. Okay, laggards, get going. There you go. Uh, let's look at Chris Rand. Chris, I'm looking at statement number three. I put it in the chat for you. I'll read it. Let's go here. You say the next big technological advancement that will transform innovation within the aerospace industry will be the metaverse by providing a real-time physics-based, immersive, lifelike, and at point of use, meaning his home office, environment for design, engineering, manufacturing, and sustainment organizations. Chris, unpack it. There's a lot in there. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. Um, I mean, this really builds off of the point that we had in the first question, right? So we're starting to build all this rich digitization information, the digital twins, the digital threads. The question becomes, how do we make this information more accessible at point of use? Um, and, and we, we've we've been able to leverage in caves and, and concepts for years to be able to, to immerse ourselves. But we had to go to a specialized place. We had to have specialized equipment. We had to have these aspects. So as we go through this, this digitization process and we make a lot more of these, the, the, all this information more digitized and have the digital twin representations, not only of the product, but of the manufacturing processes, the same processes, everything that we're doing, and then tying that back to the real 
manufacturing operations, the real product performance aspects, how do I then get that information to point of use? Whether it's a service technician on the flight line, whether it's an engineer working from home in his basement on a Friday, be able to put on a headset and be able to immerse themselves in to look at how the product's performing. Or I'm looking at a manufacturing procedure. I want to be able to see the cobots working with the manual operation simulations. We we do this, so it's it's that next step of once we build this 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 platform, whether it's on the on the cloud, it's not going to be whether when it's on the cloud of how we can then immerse ourselves. The key aspect of it, some of the points that I had there was immersive, real time, mm-hmm. and physics based. I call it Pixar meets uh, the real world, right? So when we have all this this great stuff that Pixar can do. But, and they can make a ball bounce, but uh, my CEO always says when some of the discussions we have with NVIDIA and some things like that, what happens if I go and touch the ball and push it a certain direction instead of just bouncing this way and now blow blow on it? How do I apply real physics to that? So like, can I start making decisions, thank you, Bonnie, start making uh, uh, decisions based off that immersive environment. So I can then start to, to do those simulations that are real life simulations in that immersive environment. And I think it's going to be the things that we're seeing from Meta and some of the, the, the high-tech companies that are going to cause it to accelerate, right? So it's just not a, a, a defense industry aspect. It's the, it's, it's the aspects of the broader technical or technical verse, I guess, that's making it versus with NVIDIA, with Meta, with, uh, with Apple, with, with all the their aspects that are going to drive it. So it, I think it's going to come quicker than we think uh, just because of the technology that we're having. It's exciting, isn't it, Chris? It's a little scary, but uh, it's, it's exciting, yeah. Well, part of scary is exciting, and part of exciting should be scary because we need to know from where, where we're going, from where we're starting, and where we're going the next frontier. Michael Edelin, are you sitting at the edge of your chair, Michael? I have to I make am. sure you. Yes. Okay, good. You, you're very well behaved. <laughs> Would you please comment, agree, or disagree with what Chris just shared? And then, Russell, you're after Michael. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, Part of the metaverse, as Chris was stating, is all of the um, the simulation that has to be done up front. There's an initiative in aerospace and defense uh, that we comment on about moving manufacturing left, where everything has to be simulated, everything from design through manufacturing, through operations, through maintenance, and be able to, to actually simulate all of that in a virtual world before we ever start any manufacturing processes. And so, so that's that's on the simulation side. Then on the practical side of using uh, virtual reality, uh, one of our customers, a uh, shipbuilding company, um, you can look on the website for digital uh, shipbuilding, uh, digital, yeah, digital shipbuilding, but they actually use it whenever you're constructing the ship, there's actually some, some elements in there when you have to put in weld in support structure to hold things in place while the the rest of manufacturing and assembly is taking place and they've developed an application where they can actually take a tablet in and actually after the ship has has been constructed they can actually point the tablet around at the structure so it will flag and identify that temporary structure that needs to be then subsequent subsequently removed this used to be a manual process that they had to go through and now they can just use virtual reality and metaverse well and use this uh, technology to identify that those components that need to be removed. And then another practical application, uh, you know, as uh, Chris was mentioning already about, you know, the engineers sitting at home and helping, um, you know, out in the field, um, take uh, the space launch operations where the engineers really have to have oversight into every time anybody turns a, a bolt during a rocket assembly. And so they might be at the engineering center, might be five miles away from the launch site. 
and and they might have to support multiple launch sites. So that engineer then could participate in over-the-shoulder monitoring of, of the actual performance of work. So it has both both a um, simulation capabilities and a practical application as well that we can leverage. Thank you. So important for simulation, isn't it, Michael? Because as I said in my opening, you can't exactly take a satellite back to the store and say, hey, didn't work so good. So well, mm -hmm. hey, I, you know, I want a refund or would you fix it? And when can I pick it up again? Not happening. Very, very important. Russell Burtwell, join us. Thoughts on what Chris shared and on Michael's comments. Go ahead, Russell. Sure, just building upon it, I consider really this concept uh, to be the natural progression from our earlier thoughts around augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, what we might call extended reality is kind of a uh, combined term for those. Take those, build upon it our digital twin concept, very, as Chris mentioned, physics-based. There's an effect uh, that is dri driven by what we really have designed. Um, and can we bring those things together both, uh, to reinforce learning, but also to simulate and to do that in a very realistic setting, not in a small individual uh, model kind of way like we are able to do also. And so we open the door to new business processes by supporting kind of movement from reality and virtual and to back to forth. And uh, the key to unlock the value here is going to be that smooth transition between 2D uh, you know, real life to 1D and 2D kind of documentation and this 3D representation. So it, it can't be clunky to move between those. They all have to work in harmony. I think that's where the real value will be unlocked when we can do that. And another couple, another piece of research um, that I think is a good quote, a good stat to throw with you guys is over half of the A&D executives that we have surveyed, which is extensive number, 54% over half truly believe that metaverse in that future vision state will have a breakthrough and transformational transformational impact on their organization in the next four years. So the concept is that in the next four years, it is going to be a major transformational you know, game changer, game changing radio, right? To um, the way that business is done in A&D. And that covers not just the, you know, immersing ourselves in maybe the engineering, simulating the product and how it's going to interact in its, in its market, but also in the shop, in the manufacturing line, how we actually build it and maintain it in an MRO facility and sustainment, but also just the education and um, empowerment of our employees. So this fits very nicely into the war for talent discussion, which is a which is another topic on the top of the minds of A and D executives. And um, aerospace as an industry is very much in a war for talent, especially engineering talent uh, with other industries. And so this is another: if we can get metaverse right, if we can be progressive in that, it allows more of uh, an employee experience and the ability for people to effectively learn new processes, reskill, upskill themselves, and learn digital tools at a faster rate than the prior generation. And one more stat for you is that when talking with aerospace executives about um, augmented reality and just this idea of extended reality, 91%, so almost all and executives, thought that their um, organizations um, would get very much benefit from bringing AR, VR, and metaverse 
to their employees, to talent-related pursuits. So building on that talent. They, they know that that's an imperative to actually build their workforce. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. You gave me a perfect segue to what Michael's going to be talking about in a minute. Michael, don't get nervous. There's plenty of new stuff in your statement I put in the chat for you. Chris, this was your topic. Anything you want to say back to the two gentlemen sharing the panel with you today? No, I, th I think, I mean, they hit on it. I mean, it's the natural extension and it's just a, a manifestation of that, how it comes across. So, I mean, it, we're, we're hitting this and we're running with it and it's just going to, as Russell said, I mean, it's just the next incarnation of making it available. Thank you very much. Thank you for the great conversation starter, Chris Rand. Michael Edelin, I'm looking at your statement number four. Russell mm -hmm. touched on it a little bit, but I want to do a deeper dive. So I'm going to preface this with, and back on earth, back at the shop. Okay, let's go. Let's bring it back down to land, to people, to re real time here. Uh, Michael says, companies that weave together formerly siloed processes, formerly siloed processes, intelligent technologies, and real world data from customers connected devices, partners, and the environment with intelligent automation will lead the way. So let's wrap this around what we've been talking about, separate from meta and simulations, and what are real people having to do to make this happen? Michael, go ahead. Okay, thank you, Bonnie. So yeah, this ties everything back to that, that concept of digital thread that we've been talking about a lot here on this, this call. Um, you know, weaving together the formerly siloed processes, it's making the everything work uh, more closely together from engineering through manufacturing all the way to the supply chain. I know I'm being repetitive there, but um, then using intelligent technologies, you know, we're talking about metaverse, uh, the virtual reality, all of these kinds of things, but also doing um, a remote uh, or a program uh analytics where we're we're looking at the 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 business processes that flow end to end as well uh, connected devices that connectivity that's uh, connecting to information on the shop floor or connecting to devices that are out in the field and feeding that information back to engineering um you know we even have on on the shop floor all of these advancements where we're, we're even having robots that can climb around on the outside of a fuselage of an aircraft actually and do all of the uh, drilling of and installation of fasteners this is something that's uh you know very advanced that um that we can do that we can do now and also i, I think one of the the bigger aspects of this is there's there's capabilities now with refinements and simulation and engineering and manufacturing for example, when we used to bring in uh, the forward and aft sections of fuselages from different mm -hmm. suppliers, bring those together and splice together sections of the aircraft that would have to be spliced together, drill the holes, separate the, the sections of the fuselage, deburr, apply sealant, re or rejoin them, and then install the fasteners. Now, with the new advancements with the engineering and simulation, these can actually be pre-drilled separately around the globe, brought together to the final assembly location and actually assembled at that point. So it's all of this, you know, weaving together all of the information, all of the capabilities, all of the processes from, you know, hands-on manufacturing processes to supply chain and making all of this work as one element is... Um, is what we're talking about with with intelligent automation. It's not on, only automation of cobots and so forth on the shop floor, but also automation of all of the the business processes that make sure whenever I'm consuming materials that I'm triggering the right um, triggers in the supply chain to get replenishment. So and and it's, the digital thread really allows 
all of this to, to happen and work together. Thank you very much. Very well put together, Russell. You happen to be virtually sitting right next to Michael right now. So would you like to agree? I'm looking for somebody to disagree with somebody. You've all been wonderfully agreeing with each other. <laughs> Can we have a little bit of yes and or yes, yeah. but or also I agree, but maybe too? Russell, no pressure. Go ahead. You're up. I don't know. And I was going to do a yes and. So very, very good. Um, it's not... I definitely don't disagree with Mike. I actually was going to add to and say, I understand also very much this connected enterprise, this intelligent automation, the thread throughout the company itself. I want to take that one step further and talk about the extended enterprise. So we're talking about um, the ecosystem of partners and suppliers. How does this need to come together? They are part of the same concept Mike brought up. They are the next level, uh, but it all needs to work very seamlessly together. And, you know, there's a range of pressures around cost and scarcity of talent, new competitors, and then emerging economies like Leo or advanced air mobility, upcoming new segments of the market. These are requiring a, a different approach to working with your suppliers and thinking about it differently. It's not supply, it's partners and the ecosystem and this concept we've been calling the extended enterprise. So think about those things Mike said, but very much going to outside your four walls. One of the research stats that I liked so much on this comp topic is that 67% of A&D executives we talked to agree their competitive advantage will not be determined by their organization, but the strength of their partners. So think about that, that it's, a, it's acknowledged and under, understood by a large majority of um, A&D companies, organizations, that the strength of their ecosystem and that extended enterprise will drive success. And you know, there's a, there's a number of benefits that beyond the, some of those core benefits that Mike brought up within the enterprise of automating, connecting the digital thread. He had really great ones that I you know, agree with Bonnie, but then the yes and, well, what else do you get by talking to those outside? But we talk about um, better, and this is a supply chain thing, but better able to absorb disruptive events. So we know supply chain resilience is a separate topic, but it, it fits here because we're talking about a partner ecosystem that's more, um, it, it's a little bit more of a, um, a portfolio that allows you to absorb and be resilient to um, events outside. We've dealt with that a lot the last few years. And um, a more of a sharing of knowledge and a network around product development, around even process development, around research and development, and um, new products, um, how we're serving the market. And there's a lot of collaboration even between competitors. That's starting to happen more and more. And this is gonna drive more, um, more, more even progress for everybody, especially when it comes to new market segments that are undefined. Go back to Leo, advanced air mobility, uh, these are things that are not substantiated yet to us to the degree that defense manufacturing is or commercial airliners are. So the opportunity is huge to work together as um, as peers and also across that extended enterprise to develop new capabilities there. Thank you very much. Chris Rand, you get to wrap up this topic and then we'll see if Michael wants to talk back to any of you. Maybe you want to talk back to Russell. I don't know. Chris, what do you think? I think uh, Russ hit hit on the, the the and part there. It's I think the 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 major 
primes, OEMs, the, the big guys, and even some of the tier ones that are supplying these systems have started to figure that out. But the Achilles heel right now is the supply chain. And when we start to look at digitization, it's about building that comprehensive digital twin. That comprehensive digital twin from the product and production, as Mike said, is key, right? That um, having that input of the, the entire comprehensive digital twin is, is what's required to do that digitization, to get all the stuff that we talked about previously. But so much of these products are built by the supply chain that in order to have that continuous thread to realize the value of that digital twin, that's where everybody's starting to look now. Once we get below the major tier ones, how do we deal with the, the smaller tier ones, tier twos, tier threes that have impacts to major design performance of the product? So the, the product digital twin. How do the manufacturing organizations that are doing automated assembly or automated manufacturing that are pre-drilling those holes, how do we know the quality is met so when I go to do assembly that it matches up? So it's that feed of the supply chain, just not of how they interact from a, from a business standpoint, but how the companies can work together with respect to preserving that digital thread is going to be key. And the people that can start to solve that are going to be the ones that are going to be the game changers in driving where they're going. So being the, the innovation leaders, because that's going to be the, the aspects of, of, of where the, the true benefit will be received as they can start to drive that and know that piece part has the quality, has the, the history, has the digital threat information mm -hmm. that they can then plug in and continue down the process. Thank you very much. Michael, good conversation starter. I know you want to talk back to them. Go ahead, Michael. Oh, no, I agree with both of them uh, entirely. Yeah, <laughs> the supply chain is definitely a major driver in our industry. Even, um, the, you know, I mentioned this aspect of moving manufacturing left and that pre-drilling um, of that fuselage. So there's this, there's this, um, Thing in the aerospace and defense industry, especially in the, the def in defense, about an E-series program, where something is is designated E-series product if it's completely virtually simulated before the manufacturing starts, and then when manufacturing starts, the success criteria is that is 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 as efficient as what would normally be the 100th unit produced. And so there are programs out there that are are successful, <clears throat> successfully achieving this initial uh, manufacturing efficiency, but still struggling with supply chain. And as Russ mentioned, you know, it's still supply chain issues that are related to, you know, um, you know impacts with environment or the COVID impact that we had. And now uh, suppliers are trying to catch up with financially, uh, trying mm -hmm. to, to be fin financially enabled to um, do the ramp up again to to get back to um, levels of uh, of supply and then and then the last thing I'll say is uh, Chris was talking about you know this whole digital thread we need this visibility the suppliers need visibility into demand that's coming from the OEMs the OEMs need um, visibility and capacity capabilities not only tier one but down to tier two tier three and so yeah this is it's all very very valid points that uh, Russell and Chris brought up. Thank you. Chain. And I thank you for the good conversation starter. We've got about five and a half minutes left, but I want to pop one more quick comment in here from statement number four from Russell. I think it needs to be said because it ties into my intro about how the market for satellites is growing. And he says, A&D customers, both commercial and defense, 
have increased demands and higher performance expectations from the industry than ever. We've talked about the rest of your topic, Russell, but I just want you to talk about this increased demand. If you can give me two minutes on that, I'll give one minute to Chris and one to Michael, and then we're going to wrap. Go ahead, Russell. Yeah, this is a great uh, ender to everything we talked about because those are the enablers, but talking, let's remind ourselves why we're doing this. And the customer, whether it's defense or commercial, is you know, just demanding it. And this goes back to my very first comment on survival requires you to follow these digital imperatives. You know, think about that airlines and operators are doing the same thing. They're on a path to digitize, driven by data insights, create seamless interoperability between their systems and their processes. Um, and this gets flowed down to their supply chain. Our client or our customers that are in the, um, or A&D organizations, I should say, um, have this demand on them from their customer, whether they're an OEM or tier one, to be part of the digital ecosystem. And then in defense, I mentioned this before, but the customer has very clearly laid out a modernization strategy, at least in the US and um, global um, departments and ministries of defense are doing similar things. Basically, uh, making it a strategic imperative and a do or don't work, don't don't sell to us type of uh, an arrangement around digital requirements and digital um, transformation. And this foundation will rely on those enabling technologies that we've been talking about, the digital thread, the digital twins, everything we've been talking about will be important for them. Thank you very much. Chris Shran, I can give you one minute, then one for Michael, and then we wrap. Go ahead, Chris, you're up. Thanks, Bonnie. I think a good way to look at this is on the defense side of, of Leo because of the timeframes that we're talking about. If we look at the uh, being able to provide internet over a conflict area, a commercial venture is doing that today, and they're doing that at point of use very quickly. But some of the demands we're seeing coming out of the defense side, they want to put in low-Earth satellites within weeks task something, a satellite to do something and be able to put it up in within a month and within weeks to meet a certain need. So it's, 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 it's uh, conflict-driven requirements that are so fast, they're wanting a satellite that might take years to do. They want to turn that around in, in weeks and get it up launched to meet a, a point of service. So that's just a, a real quick example to show how fast it's moving. Thank you. I think we have a part two here. Michael Liedlin, I can give you one minute, then we're ready. Go ahead. Yeah, I think uh, I think we've you know talked about it, but yeah, this the speed of innovation that it allows and, and it's uh, required across the industry from all aspects. You know, um, just the the agility that that it enables and the uh, the speed of innovation. Thank you very much. That was brief and to the point. <laughs> okay, just threw me over the hood there. Uh, we have just, oh, well, we got about two minutes left. What am I going to do with the two minutes? Um, let's just quickly say. If somebody wants to know more about aerospace and defense, about the industry, is there a good resource for them to just either get involved or if a company is thinking, hey, we want to get into that arena, is there any place for people to go for research? I'm, I'm not looking for a pitch from anybody, but Russell or, or Chris or Michael, is, are there any good places they can go and get some basic information on what's happening or is it all over the place? Russell? I think it's all over the place. You mentioned we're not going to do any pitches, but all three of our organizations, I know, mm -hmm. except Siemens and SAP, do an extensive amount of, I mentioned I mentioned a lot of quotes, a lot of stats, a lot of uh, research. Yes. Things. We do commercial insights reporting. We do different kinds of um, industry and market reports. 
And I know that Siemens and SAP do from their vantage points as well. So it is all over the place. I think that, um, you know, the trusty old Google search, but also there's, there's a few resources like Aviation Week, mm-hmm. um, the AIA, there's, there's different um, industry groups that you can get information from. Thank you very much. I thought it'd just be interesting to say that. I want to thank the three of you, uh, David Sweetman. David, you want to pop on your camera and join us for uh, saying goodbye to everybody? If you, there he is, David. There is David. Yeah, David and I have much. David and I have known each other for years at SAP, and his name popped up. He was going to be the showrunner for this, working with Judy Kubis and Thomas Pohl and David Dunn, who are the main showrunners for the future mobility and manufacturing. David Sweetman, I know you're going to be working with me on the January 15th show and looking forward to that. I want to thank Andrew, our engineer at Voice America Business Channel. I want to thank our special guest, Russell Burtwell. Russell, you are a font of information. Thank you. Love the stats. Chris Schrand as well and Michael Edelin as well. And I just want to give my shout, my call to action, everybody. Fasten your seatbelt. Come on, everybody, put on your seatbelt. We need that for supersonic speeds, right? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Russell Burtwell, just like Chris Rand, and just like Mike Edelin, and just like David Sweetman. Bonnie D signing off. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.